Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the C4SO podcast. I'm Ben Sternke, your host, and I'm here again with Bishop Todd Hunter. Todd, Hello, how are Ben. You? Doing all right? Yes. It, I, I look forward to being with you. Yes, yes. Uh, I do as well. Uh, every week, these are fun conversations. Um, this inaugural series that we're doing on this podcast is all about C4SO, just kind of giving people an introduction to the vision, the mission, the values um, that we have as a diocese. Um, we've got some uh, really fun stuff coming up uh, that we're planning. We're planning an Advent series um, uh, that starts in uh, November, I think. Um, and so we're looking forward to that and also hearing uh, from a lot more different voices uh, different uh, people that make up our diocese. Um, uh, the, the way that I'm thinking about this, Todd, is um, this is kind of like a conversation among us. It's like a conversation with C4SO, by C4SO, but we're doing it in public, just in yeah. case anybody's ever you know, interested yeah. in kind of uh, uh, tuning into what we're doing. And so um, I'm glad if you are joining us, uh, I'm glad for that, and uh, would uh, also encourage you to just uh, subscribe and um, tell your friends about the podcast if you're finding it helpful um, for connecting you to the diocese in some way. So we're um, this is our fifth episode, and we are into the values here of C4SO. Uh, we started this series by talking about a little bit about your story, uh, Todd, and then a bit about the story of the founding of C4SO as a diocese and our mission. And now we're starting to talk about the five values that we name Right. Um, as kind of guiding principles, as um, things that we want to hold to as we uh, move uh, through, you know, the things that the Lord has for us. So, uh, last week was kingdom. This week is spirit. Um, and uh, here, here's here's what we say on the website about spirit. And B- Bishop Todd, I wonder if you could comment on this just a little bit. Um, obviously, we're referring to the Holy Spirit here, mm-hmm. not just having a, a sense of uh, uh, yeah. you know enthusiasm, a, yeah, like yeah. a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yes, we've got spirit. spirit week or whatever they call so, that at high school you? and college. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, we say this: God's purposes in full orbed discipleship to Jesus require a power that matches. His intentions. This is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Wait to embark on ministry until you have received power from on high, as uh, Jesus says to the disciples in Luke 24. It's a paradigmatic passage and reality for Christian ministry. Can you say just a, a few words about that um, before we dive into maybe some questions? Yeah, as I just observe my now 40-some year career, um, it just seems like really obvious to me that when discipleship isn't in view or when discipleship to Jesus isn't one's first sense of themselves, then you can just bet on it that any sort of engagement with the Holy Spirit will be seen as optional. Hmm. So if somebody's first sense of themselves is, you know, I'm a Presbyterian or a Calvinist or I'm Reformed or, um, or you know, I'm... Um, I'm a Methodist or whatever. Yeah. Um, sometimes even if I'm a Pentecostal, <laughs> um, uh, 
Right. Is you it, know, all the studies show that the average Pentecostal actually doesn't speak in tongues. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. you know... Even that it, has become, or can become, just a, a, a way of doing things, like a, yeah. a style of church, for example, yes. right? Yeah. But if discipleship is in view, so let's just stop and think about that for a moment. So Jesus says to his first followers, for instance, in Mark 1 or Matthew 4, um, come follow me. And, you know, they drop their nets and they actually, they follow him and they engage in conversation with him and they're with him. So there's this mix of presence and words and, you know, Jesus is teaching and the first disciples hearing um, or observing his works, his deeds mm -hmm. of power. Mm -hmm. So now if you, you know, fast forward to uh, like John 20 or Acts 1, um, Jesus says now, um, sorry, flash forward to the upper room discourse, you know, John 14, yeah. 15, 16, um, and then to John 20 and to Acts 1, you get this notion that now what I've been doing with you personally, after I've ascended, the Holy Spirit will be sent and the Holy Spirit will continue to disciple the church even as I did. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Spirit is to the church um, in this sort of uh, immaterial way what Jesus was to the disciples in a material way. And I think that's part of what throws people off. We, mm -hmm. you know, we live in such a scientific and now technological world um, and, you know, science was always trying to make things discrete so that we could understand it. You know, technology is all built on bits and bytes, you know, like zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. Like what could be more discrete, you know, more more sort of hardened in a category than bits and bytes. And, um, and so when someone tries to think of the spirit as being immaterial or non-bodily personal power. So just think about those words for a minute, non-bodily personal power. So the spirit doesn't have a body, right. but the spirit is a person. And the spirit is the one that gives us power and authority and gifts and transforms our character, you know, Galatians 5, that sort of thing. But that's just hard, Ben, for people to, modern people to get their minds wrapped around. Holy cow, I don't even understand how Bluetooth worked. Like our Wi-Fi <laughs> went out last night at the house. Yeah. And we watched yeah. TV through the hotspot on Debbie's phone. I'm like, get out. How does that happen? Yeah. How do you watch high definition TV through a hotspot on somebody's iPhone? Like, I don't get that. Mm -hmm. And so that, but that, this is an important analogy. <clears throat> and because I don't get it, I don't ever want to mess with it. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously, I don't really like my phone or my computer that much. Meaning, <laughs> especially if anything goes wrong, like I don't, yeah. it just bums me out. I don't, I have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. And I just think that's a lot of the way um, Christians have felt about the Holy Spirit. It's just so, it's weirder than Bluetooth. It's weirder than wireless. Like, how does this work? Um, and, yeah. and I think unless somebody has a really concrete imagination that in the same way Peter, James, and John followed Jesus, I'm now following Jesus through following the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean. Once discipleship's mm -hmm. in view and you really are trying to apprentice yourself to Jesus, well, then the Holy Spirit naturally, I think, then is a, a part of it. Yeah, yeah. So to to, to put it in maybe an in the inverse way, if you find yourself thinking of the Holy Spirit as optional or, um, you know, something you might like to try if you're into that style of church, yeah, then 
perhaps the next question should be, am I really, am I actually learning to live in the kingdom with Jesus? Am I yeah. actually apprenticing myself if the Holy Spirit's not required? That, 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 these, that, that the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary to actually carry out the, um, the life that would uh, ensue from being a, an apprentice of Jesus. Yeah, one of the fascinating things about the Holy Spirit is that like Jesus is concretely trusted. Mm-hmm. Normally, let's just let's just say that in the life of of a disciple, he's concrete, concretely trusted. But that same disciple may very sincerely, I'm not putting anybody down, just have a hard time making the person and work of the Spirit concrete. Like, yes. like again, like just how does this work? Yeah. And I think the difficulty here is that this is what leads to prejudices. Hmm. So if you think hmm. of a person who isn't quite sure how this works out, and all they really know are these sort of, I mean this in quotes, hokey stories that they've heard about charismatics or Pentecostals. Yeah. And they think, oh my God, for whatever reason, like I don't want to be one of those crazy people. Mm-hmm. So then they're left with um, what I would call kind of a benign neglect. Yeah. And to those people, I would just want to, in a friendly, lovingly way, say that you should consider that the Holy Spirit is equally um, hurt, you might say, by being ignored as he is by excess in his name. Yeah. So we think if we avoid excess, then we're not going to like injure the reputation of the spirit or something, but he, he is a person. Yeah. And when he's meant to be in you, with you, through you for the sake of others, and he's being ignored, hmm. I would say that's actually as bad as any sort of Pentecostal excess hmm. that uh, somebody yeah. could name. Yeah. So the, the ditches there are, you know, a lot of times we think of the charismatic, we think of the Holy Spirit in terms of the charismatic movement, you know, in, right. in yeah. quotes there, where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, there's this certain style of church, there were certain things that happened, and, so, you know, maybe some wonderful things, but maybe for whatever reason, you think, well, that's not for me, or that's not me, I don't want to yeah. do that. Um, and the only other option sometimes we feel is that we we have to just sort of <laughs> do ministry without the Holy Spirit, you yeah. know, because that, that stuff's weird or scary, or 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 just like you said, too mis- it's like Bluetooth. It's like, I don't know how that works. And so, but you know what? I, I do know how this works. And so I can preach a sermon. Yeah. You know, I can lead this liturgy. I know how to do church in this way. Yes. That kind of a thing. Um, so maybe help us out here. Like, obviously, we don't want to bracket out, you know, healing tongues and all of the, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are gifts and the Holy Spirit yeah. gives them. So without bracketing those things out, I do know what you mean by not not wanting to sort of, you know, just be kind of doing church in a, in a, in a crazy way. But, um, but what, what would it mean then? Maybe bridge some of that mysterious gap, you know, the Bluetooth, like, yeah. how does this work? Like bridge some of that gap for us, expand on like for, to put it in terms of, um, you know, wait to embark on ministry until you've received power from on high. How would I know if I've received power from on high? How would I know if I'm operating in and with the Holy Spirit or if I am you know, in an effort to keep the weird stuff at bay, yeah. if I am ignoring the Holy Spirit, what what kinds of things would I look for in my life? What what does it practically mean for me to do ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. You can give some examples. So I think there's a, a biblical slash theological something to be said there, and then a kind of a more personal, practical thing to be said. So the first thing is there's, you know, there's been a debate between um, 
Pentecostals and Charismatics and especially Reformed people, but I would say evangelicalism more broadly defined, um, about when does somebody receive the Spirit? So the evangelical, more Reformed thinking, and Catholic too, I think, but don't hold me to that, uh, and Orthodox, but again, don't hold me to that, but I think so, <laughs> is that you receive the Spirit when you're converted. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because the Spirit is a person and not a thing, like gasoline or uh, a battery in our cell phone, um, that when you receive the person of the Spirit, you have received the Spirit. Mm. In fact, in the New Testament, the gift of the Spirit is the person of the Spirit. It's not the gifts or or the fruit. The gift of the Spirit is a person, obviously. We're talking about the third person of the Holy Trinity. Mm. And this is why we just don't ever want him to be reduced to a kind of religious consumerism. Mm. You know, that says, well, I'm I'm really mostly Anglican or I'm really mostly Presbyterian or whatever. But yeah, I guess maybe I'll take a little bit of the spirit. I mean, that's just like such crazy talk. I mean, if you stop and think about it, I mean, most people talk that way. But as soon as you stop and think about it, you think, wow, that is so rude to the Holy Spirit, like God Almighty. Well, okay, I'll take a little bit of you, but like, don't. You know, don't don't mess with me too much. I don't think you're supposed to run my life or anything, you know, or <laughs> yeah. be a lord or. So I th- so the first thing to say is um, I wouldn't hold to the fact that you have to have what the Pentecostals and Charismatics would call a second work of grace. <coughs> Excuse me. Now I know many people experience their life that way. That I got. In fact, I would say most Pentecostals and most Charismatics over the last hundred and. 20 or so mm-hmm. years, when they talk about it, you know, experientially, what they say is, yes, you know, I was converted or whatever at this Baptist church, but then I went to this meeting, whatever, and I got filled yeah. with the Holy Spirit. Right, right. So that's how, like, doctrines of second work of grace or, you know, on a more Wesleyan you know, yeah. side, a third work of grace of entire sanctification. Those yeah. are Those are ways I think of trying to, and I don't mean this at all as a criticism, of like trying to make our theology fit our experiences. I mean, that's actually the way most theology comes to us in in both, even in the Old and New Testaments. It's people reflecting on what God did. So I don't get really exercised about these things, but I think for me, I would want to say that you, you, you should know that you have the Spirit just by your conversion, meaning that you have... Um, stopped being a disciple of self and stopped being a uh, started being a disciple of someone else. Mm-hmm. So people may or may not be clear about when they receive the Spirit. People may or may not be clear about what what are the marks of receiving the Spirit. Like the Pentecostal world would say, it's speaking in tongues. Others might say, no, it's love, mm-hmm. uh, or you know other things. So I think. The best answer I can give to your question, Ben, but I don't know how practical it is, <laughs> is I think we should just have an instinctual knowing of whether or not our life is inspired by the Spirit mm-hmm. as Jesus taught and the Father promised. Yeah. So it's it's a sense of um, what Jesus, what the, what the Trinity meant to exhale on the world through the Spirit. Am I inhaling? And do I have a sense of my life being animated by the Spirit? Do I sense His presence? Do I sense a special sort of capacity? Like even people who are not known at all as Pentecostals, like R.A. Torrey, Moody, 
Uh, I'm going to forget people here. You read these biographies of people we think of as like Bible holiness people. They all talk about uh, moments of feeling filled by the Spirit and their life and ministry being completely different. Yeah. Now, we have to ask, well, what were they noticing? Uh, I think Moody, he talks about, he noticed that the effects of his ministry and his sermons were different. Mm-hmm. can't remember exactly how R.A. Torrey puts it, and there are others. Yeah. So I think it's part of this is... Um, it's like precisely subjective. You, it's something <laughs> right. you only yeah. kind of know personally. The C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight is a brief segment of our podcast where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're praying for Trinity Canton Church in Manhattan, Kansas, which is led by Reverend Justin Kastner, and he's joined us to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. Uh, and we are both enjoying coffee, aren't we, Justin? Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Yes. Welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. It's great Thank to have you. you. Uh, so, Justin, one thing uh, you're encouraged by right now that's happening at Trinity Canton Church. About one year ago, we embraced a new small group format that we call COX, or Churches of X Number, so Churches of Two, Three, Four, Five, etc., groups, small-sized groups in which to do um, a variety of things. Most most importantly, checking in weekly on an emotional uh, sort of scale and seeing how each other are doing, sharing very intentionally what we call appreciation stories, which cultivate gratitude, and then spending time uh, listening to Jesus. And this format came to us by way of Patrick and Susan Schneiders, who joined our church about a year and a half ago. They're graduates of hmm. Friends University's Apprentice Institute, which folks oh, yeah. in the C4SO, C4SO world will probably recognize uh, James Bryan Smith's association with that yeah, program. And, sure. and Pat and Susan have really pioneered this, and I'm so I'm so encouraged— by the vitality, hmm. the dynamism, the sense of community in our COX groups, wow. which has been, uh, you know, conducted almost entirely by Zoom for the last several months, yeah, and yeah. really, really heartened by that. Wow, that's amazing. Appreciate you sharing that, um, Justin. How about one challenge that you're facing right now? One challenge is kind of nitty gritty, practical, roll your sleeves up ministry <laughs> challenge. Yeah. Uh, we are dealing with a rather complicated set of needs with one of our elderly parishioners. Um, I'll call mm. him B. And B, okay. uh, trying to manage his health um, and also <laughs> trying to get his bathroom remodeled to a state of dignity. Um, and there's a variety uh-huh. of hands on deck. Our, our church has been involved with a work day. We did some cleaning. His family, his extended family, is involved to some degree, but there's the whole challenge of keeping things clean, getting a contractor who can execute the remodel, uh, maintaining Mm -hmm. his proper home health care while he's staying somewhere else, actually staying with another family in our church. And it's just Mm -hmm. really, um, uh, I I feel tender for the whole situation because it's not yet resolved, and so that is a, a challenge. Okay. 
Um, and how, how can we pray for you and Trinity Canton this season? Well, in addition to uh, B, uh, I would say mm-hmm. that because we are perhaps uniquely, uh, almost exclusively bivocationally led, or I should say exclusively bivocationally led, you know, I'm a, a professor at Kansas State, um, and okay. we have three uh, ultra part-time uh, staff, paid staff. We have a warden who works full-time in another job, and then Pat and Susan, they're okay. working other jobs as well. Um, so I think the prayer request is that we would um, be able to leverage our presence in the so-called marketplace for the kingdom, that God would use mm-hmm. us um, in our quote-unquote dual uh, spaces um, so that we can allure others into ch- the church and missional life of Trinity Canton. Okay. Well, very good. We'll uh, keep those prayer requests in mind. Um, Justin, thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity Canton Church uh, or maybe those COX groups, um, or if you want to contribute to their work, uh, do check out the link. We'll put one in the show notes. Thanks again, Justin. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. I think it is helpful, um, you know, to think about the the writings of people who have experienced something like what we might be thinking of, and you know, whether it's whether it's you know received a conversion or there's a second work of grace. Sometimes I feel like there's for me, there's like a 53rd work of grace, you know, yeah, like right. every morning, right? I, I, yes, I pray yeah. morning prayer and that's, that's another work of grace, you know, there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hear you sort of um, coming down into a couple different categories. One would be that there is, you notice there's a power at work in your ministry that cannot be attributed to your natural yes. human gifting alone, mm-hmm. right? And this is yeah, that's very, a good way of putting you know, yeah. Willardian, I think. Mm-hmm. Where he, he talks about that, that as you step into the kingdom, God works with you to right. accomplish through you things that you can't just say, oh yeah, I'm a, he's a great speaker, or you know, that yeah. was a great sermon. Where it's like more, more happens than that can be just explained by those sort of human attributes. Yes, I think that's right. So power flows it's through. Like, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's kind of like if I was trying to carry a heavy chair by myself, and you saw me mm-hmm. and came and added your strength to it, Right. I would notice that. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, the the chairs don't feel as heavy. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. No. That's yeah. that's a good uh, metaphor. Um, and then the other thing, the other thing you mentioned that I, I think is uh, an interesting one. I haven't really thought about it until you said it. So this is just a, I'm exploring a thought here. Um, is that people did? You know, they talked about this subjective experience of of sort of sensing God's love you know, mm-hmm. sensing the the presence yes. of God in a new way, right? And they, they all kind of write the same way about this presence, they right? Do. Where, they, where yes. there's a sense of like being loved, that mm-hmm. God is favorably disposed towards me. That there, you know, I can think of an experience in my own life where um, before this experience, I really struggled with, um, you know, that my imagination of how God was seeing me tended to be a little bit disappointed, a little bit, you know, he's always sighing, he's always disappointed if I get it wrong or, you know, that kind of thing. But after this experience, which again, it's very subjective, but I just felt God's love for me. I can, I can definitely say on the other side of that. um, I can't remember. It might've been Moody Hmm. 
who said that he experienced what you're talking about so much. He felt so much of what, yeah. like, is it Moody or Finney? I'm forgetting now. Like the liquid, like the yeah. the hot liquid love of yeah. God or something yeah. like that. And it was like so impressing on me that I had to ask it to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think love, that kind of being loved, and then capacity. Yeah. Like someone's yeah. helping me carry this chair. Yeah. Which, I think those would be the two most common yeah. things. And I, I think I think it's important to name that sense of being of sense of God's love. Um because it, like you said, the, the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And so you would expect that our, our interactions with the Holy Spirit would be of a personal nature, yes. like of a communion, there's a connection. It's not just a power, right? It's not just right. this like uh, nitrous I can put into my gas tank and now, now the results right. are... So there is this power that works through me, but it's a personal power, as you said. And so I would right. expect that personal power to communicate to me God's love for me, um, you know, and all the, all yeah, the things and, that the gospel promises. And you would expect that um, because this third person comes out of a, a unity, mm-hmm. that whatever we would experience of the Spirit would not be different than what we would think that we would experience from the Father or the Son. Yes, yes. That they would be in harmony. Yes, yeah. There wouldn't and, be something crazy different. Right, yeah. So the God, the God that Jesus knows, the God that Jesus reveals... That like whatever I experience through the Holy Spirit, um, if it is from the Holy Spirit, it will be that God, right? It will be yes, you know the 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 God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So in terms of narrative, if Jesus was knowing and revealing the Father, then the Son is knowing the Father and the Son and continually revealing them to us. Yes, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. I'm getting excited about the Holy Spirit now. So, <laughs> so uh, I want to say one other practical yeah. thing uh, about your previous question. Um, and that is, you know, like, like, how do we know if we're getting this right or how do we even yeah. engage with yeah. it? Yeah. Um, it's not fun to say, but I think there's just, there's an irreducible um, just trial and error here yeah. <laughs> that you have to ask, like, Holy Spirit, show me how to walk with you and work with you. You have to then try, hmm. um, and then you just keep learning. Uh, you you risk and fail and succeed. And and if you think about it, if you if somebody ever just sat down and and read the synoptics or one of the synoptics even just with this lens on the disciples' learning curve, hmm. you will see that the disciples were constantly trying to figure out oh, shoot, were we supposed to bring yeast or is yeast bad? <laughs> or, you know, Lord, why couldn't we cast out this demon? Yeah. So they're constantly on this learning curve. Yes. So we should assume that we would have the same sort of learning curve with reference to the Spirit. Mm. And so we don't have to always get it right. But this is why I always um, strongly encourage, even for a veteran like myself, I would still practice this, um, a humility Hmm. that's rooted in, I may not be right. Yes. So even though we've known each other for years now and we're friends, if I woke up this morning and you were on my mind and I had what I thought was this sort of revelation about you, hmm. and even though, I'm, even though I'm your bishop, I would, not, I would never call you and say, hey, Ben, um, the Lord says you're supposed to go do this or that. Mm-hmm. I would call and say, gosh, Ben, I don't know if I'm right about this, um, but I woke up this morning with this really powerful impression, and I feel like I just want to give it to you 
for you to consider because yeah. see, then I'm obeying, I'm trying, yeah, but I'm not, I'm leaving you in charge of your life before God. Yes. And so there's a tentativeness, there's a humility mm -hmm. that goes along with saying as clearly as I can what I thought the Lord was saying. So yeah. a humble tentativeness does not mean compromise. Mm. It just means you know in your own head you could be wrong, and therefore I must leave you in charge of your life before God. Yes. Like no word that I give you as you know a mere mortal um, should have control of your life unless it seems good to you and the Holy Spirit. Yeah that it redirects your life somehow. Yeah. Yeah, so so part of the so I'm hearing you say here, part of this is like there's no way to there's no way to learn how to do this and to, unless you're willing to do it badly. <laughs> you know, yeah. at first, you know. <laughs> Which um, is why you should do it in small groups. <laughs> right, right. Don't. There's a huge value of community here. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I I like the advice too about uh the humility of just just report cuz you can report truthfully what you sensed, right? Like even in your example there, you're not saying I have to decide if this was the Lord or not before I tell Ben. Like right. you're just saying, I woke up, you're just reporting your experience. I woke up mm -hmm. with you on my mind, or I was praying for you and this thought mm -hmm. came to mind. Like I'm, I can tell you the truth that that's exactly what happened. I was praying yeah. for you. A thought mm -hmm. came to mind and I thought it maybe was something from the Lord. Maybe it was going right. to be helpful for you. And so I offer it to you. Right. And that way too, we're not staking our identity as, you know, a prophet or anything like that on, on this statement where we, we really can leave it where it belongs, which is, hey, this is a thought I had. Uh, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's not. Um, but if it's not, like, that's okay. Like, yeah. you know, that, that's fine with me and, um, and fine with you. Yeah, I think it's really important that all of us, especially the clergy listening to this, that we remain always open to the notion that the Spirit can use us in any gift at any time. Mm. And I think sometimes that gets confusing because we have gift gift inventories and all that. And, and yeah. you know, we would all, you know, usually we'd be able to say what our primary gift is or mm -hmm. our gift mix. So like I could say, I mean, I know my gift mix is something around teaching and leading and being a frustrated evangelist, but <laughs> something in those three things. Yeah. So I can't remember the last time I had to stand on a stage and communicate or do this on a podcast where I wondered, oh my God, like I hope the gift of teaching comes. Like mm. it's just so much me that I don't even think about it. Right. But if I had to give somebody a word of prophecy yeah. or if I had to go to the hospital and pray for somebody who's near death and, and hopefully have a gift of healing, I wouldn't have the same sense about it. Hmm. So yes, most of us have a primary gift. Most of us could identify a gift mix, especially clergy. But you should expect that in any of the varied things that we do as clergy, that the Holy Spirit can give us sort of a one-off gift <laughs> that maybe right. isn't a part of our gift mix. Yeah. Because it's really not about us. It's about the yeah. person who's going to receive the gift. Yes. In fact, there are some theologians who don't think the gift of healing is something that a person has. Mm -hmm. That the gift of healing is what's received by the sick person. Yeah. And in that sense, we're just conduits. We're just right. like male women, male, male men. Yeah. Um, like we shouldn't get a big head at all. Like yeah. I have the gift of healing. Yeah. No, the gift of healing flowed through us, but the real gift is for the recipient. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, whether that's, you know, scholars, you know, I, I'm sure like everything aren't agreed on that, but, but it's a very helpful, whether that, whether that specific illustration is perfect or not, the notion of not getting a big head 
in the things of the spirit is really important. Yes. That we, I mean, we're, it's, it's just like a part of our incarnating ourselves in the world Mm -hmm. and the spirit flows through us, but we really Mm -hmm. are. I mean, this sounds too utilitarian, but because we're not like pipes or hoses, because, uh, you know, this is obviously very personal. Yeah. But so maybe think of it as we're personal conduits or maybe like we're midwives. We're not the mom. Yeah. We're not the baby. Yeah. But we're important to the process. Yeah. God, God uh, involves us and he involves yeah. us as vital participants. So, yeah, and as persons, yeah, not as like as a set of pieces. So maybe not as like a piece of PVC or something. Maybe it's but, like we're the cooperative friends of Jesus, for example. Maybe there yeah, you go. Yeah. There's a phrase. <laughs> I heard that. Somewhere. I think I just coined that phrase. No, <laughs> uh, no, that's good. I also hear in that like a, a caution not to sort of get a big head and become arrogant in these things, but also a caution not to practice like a false humility, mm-hmm. like oh, I don't have the gift of healing. Right. right, as a way of saying, like, I don't want to enter into this risky situation where, yeah, what happens if I pray for healing and this person dies? You know, like, how do yeah. they feel about that? Now I've got pastoral issues and, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But there's this invitation to lean into that, to say, no, right. like, you know, perhaps the Lord would, if you would pray, perhaps the right. Lord would heal. And so mm-hmm. step into those things. Um, don't don't kind of have this false humility of like, oh, well, I don't have that gift, so I'm not going to pray for healing. Yeah. No, I don't know how to explain this, Ben, and I don't I don't know I have a good theology for it other than maybe uh about underrealized or overrealized eschatology, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, living in the already but not the not not the not yet. Mm-hmm. But I've prayed for I don't know, let's just say thousands of people in my life to be healed and um a very small percentage were. Mm-hmm. So for the fun of it, let's say I prayed for a thousand and a hundred got sort of noticeably better. Yeah. Well, you, that can be depressing. Like <laughs> nine out of ten people I pray for don't get helped. Yeah. But, but some do. Yeah. And they would not be helped if we didn't take the risk you just said. Right. So I don't right. know how to explain that. And yeah. I'm not saying that's the way it goes. That ninety percent or anything. I'm just right. saying that's what throws people off. Yeah. Like I gave what I thought was a word. It didn't seem edifying. I prayed for this person. They didn't get healed. And you just can't let that throw you off because the hundred who got helped wouldn't get helped if we just quit praying for the sick. Yeah. Because we don't understand why not everybody gets right. healed. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, one last question. Um, what uh, practical steps would you give? So we've been talking, I think, I think people as individuals may have some practical ways into, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe a more robust and explicit kind of Holy Spirit presence and activity in their lives. Um, what would you say to uh, maybe some clergy or other leaders who are listening who are responsible for a small group, responsible for a church? What would you say to them if they want to become, like, if they want to welcome, learn how to welcome the Holy Spirit more fully into the life of their church? Yeah. Um, but maybe uncertain about what that would mean or how, what would be a first step or how to go about that? Like, what, what would you recommend or say to someone who wants that but isn't sure what to do? Yeah. I would say, first of all, find a colleague you trust mm. who you might, who you have some reason to believe they're a step or two ahead of you. Yeah. And just begin to talk personally with a colleague you trust. Um, may or may not be within the Anglican church. Like maybe you have a vineyard guy next to you or a black Pentecostal or, you know, whatever, four square person and you're yeah. already friends. Um, so find somebody you can trust where you can express your fears or doubts or whatever in a, 
private, holy sort of way, if that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Then beyond that, I would try to find a, find a model, a model church that you could picture yourself operating in or leading. So like something that fits your temperament. Mm. Because a lot of this stuff gets down to temperament. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the stuff that gets caricatured from, let's call it the extreme part of the Pentecostal world, a lot of that is just pure personality. Yeah. They're just, they're given to be showmen or show ladies and they are flamboyant or whatever. Well, that's not the spirit. That's just someone's temperament. Yeah. And we don't have to put it down. But neither do we have to think that's what it means to be a charismatic leader. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So lots of this, just like all of our listeners, just trust me, I've been around this, the good and the bad and the ugly for 40 some years. That really is just temperament. I mean, some of the most godly people in the world that are the most powerful people I know are really soft-spoken and come off as almost introverted. But see, again, mm -hmm. that's temperament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so find a church model that you feel like fits your temperament that you could live with that it mm. like that that the social psychology of that church um feels similar to yours except for they've somehow worked out this engagement with the third person of the holy trinity and we haven't worked it out yet mm. so find a, a person that fits your temperament a church that fits your temperament n not slavishly but just so you can kind of figure out how how what church b is doing might fit into the life of your church because you have simple uh, similar patterns and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the third thing is if you just need a, a simple place to start is I would, I would just listen to the four talks on the person work of the spirit from alpha hmm. um, because there's hmm. so much good stuff. And though I've given those talks, I don't know how many times and listened to them. And they're, they're, it's just a really good basic pneumatology, I think, a hmm. sort of like a practice pneumatology. Hmm. So if you just need a place to start, especially from an Anglican model, yeah. um, I'd listen to the Alpha Talks. Okay. And then I think going back to finding a colleague you trust and a church model that you trust is I think we just do it the way Jesus did with the disciples. Like the disciples watched Jesus teach and do deeds of power. Then he said, now you go try it, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. think of the sending passages in Matthew 10, Luke 9, Luke 10. And they come back and they report to Jesus what happened. He then gives them feedback. Yeah. And then they go out and try it again. Right. I actually don't think there's any better way to learn the things of the Spirit than that. Yeah. Is again, maybe that colleague you trust and you say... Um, you know, as I've been meeting with people and counseling the last month, I've been trying to more and more pray for them in a way that's conscious of whatever gift of the Spirit might be necessary for that moment. Mm -hmm. And here's how I've been, uh, here's been the affect, here's how it feels in me. You share that with your trusted colleague, you go back and try it again. So I guess what I want to say is, there's just a really practical learning curve here. Yeah. But it's embedded in this, Bluetooth mystery that we started <laughs> off thinking about, yeah. right? Like you could have a great um, mentor in hermit uh, in exegesis, right? And, and that seems like concrete, right? Yeah. Oh, well, this this is a participle and it has mm -hmm. th this form and blah yeah. blah blah, yeah. and so that feels sort of scientific. Like I can get this right. because actually our exegesis are you know our most of our tools for exegesis are pretty much um, scientific. Yeah. But when we talk about the spirit bin, again, it's a lot more like that Bluetooth thing and wireless thing. And 
we can't get our we can't grasp it the way yeah. we can grasp Greek participles. Yeah. And that's why I think you need to give yourself to it in community. Nice. I can't underscore that enough. In yeah. relationship, in community, where you're constantly getting feedback. Yeah, yeah it's more like uh, learning to do a left-handed layup or yeah. ride a mm-hmm. bike, right? It's, it's embodied. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah. an embodied learning that you can't get by... You, you can't read enough books to learn how to ride a bike un, until you right. get on the bike. You know, mm-hmm. you have to feel how it feels in your body and you have to, you have to do that in that way. I maybe want to say one, just one last quick thing. Um, when you talk about reading a book, there is so much lovely pneumatology out there. Mm. Uh, a lot of it's Roman Catholic, like Renero Cantalamesa, the former preacher to the Pope, has written some brilliant pneumatology. So I just don't want our listeners to think... Um, I, again, I'm not putting this down. I actually have a lot of affection for it. But don't limit your thinking to North American Pentecostalism over yeah. the last 130 yeah. years. Yeah. There is beautiful, lovely, welcoming, warm, confidence-giving pneumatology that's been written by a lot of people that it's not that hard to track down with Google. Mm. Very good. That's great. Well, this has been really helpful, Bishop. Thank you for... Lovely to uh, see you as always. Yes. Wish we could see our audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the nature of podcasts. We, we, yeah. uh, uh, however, audience, if you would like to uh, let your presence be known, um, if you want to ask a question for a future episode, just, you can email us at connect at c4so.org. Um, also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us, um, helps people um, kind of know that we're here. Um, and uh, one final announcement for you, uh, if you are clergy, uh, the diocesan convention is happening November 14th. And I actually think this is open to anybody who's interested in C4SO. Is that right? Bishop? It is, yeah. Okay, it's right. uh, it's kind of like mandatory for rectors, uh, strongly, <laughs> strongly encouraged for all clergy, but anybody, anybody, anybody who just wants to get a, a little sneak peek into the life Very of the diocese good. is welcome to come. Yeah. All right. Well, that's coming up November 14th from 1030 to a.m. to 12 p.m. Central Time on Zoom. I'll put more information about that in the show notes. Uh, We'll continue our series next week. We'll talk about formation, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing what uh, Bishop Todd has to say about that. Until then, friends, we'll see you later. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.